Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Welcome to Star Wars Action News, coming live from C2E2 in Chicago. I am Marjorie. And I'm Arnie. And live as in live on tape, but not live as in streaming live, because, well, there are three con exclusives here that are very hard to get. The first is Wi-Fi access. It's first come, first serve. It is a chase, apparently and a highly sought-after con commodity. The second one is ice cubes. Ice cubes, they disappear fast. However, if you can find them, they do make your drink very cold. We happen to be sitting down right now in the upper concourse looking out over a huge empty area where part of this McCormick Center that the con is not extended into. And yes, enjoying a cold Pepsi. Cold because I happen to find some ice machines covered in saran wrap that we weren't supposed to use. But no, the ice is gone. The Wi-Fi is gone. And the third exclusive, I don't know what it is, but apparently it's in the bathroom because that's the longest line at the con. So I guess if you stand in line long enough for the bathroom, there's an exclusive. So let's talk C2E2. I think we've hinted at it. Coming to C2E2, we didn't know a lot about it. We'd heard about it last year. They had a lot of Star Wars guests. It's being done by Reed Pop, who did Celebration 5. This year we came because Delray was here with Paul S. Kemp, author of Cross Current, and coming out tomorrow, the new Fate of the Jedi novel, Deceived, and John Jackson Miller, author of the Dark Horse comic, Knight Errant, as well as the recent book. So we came up on Friday for that panel, and Saturday's worth of signings, but... I didn't realize this is just the second year for C2E2. Yeah, I honestly thought I just didn't hear into, about it until last year, but it turns out this is the second year. We didn't miss it all these years, and it was right in our backyard. So I got to say, for a second-year con, their PR department and booking department, really first-rate for comic books. It is very much a comic book con. While there are some mass media guests like Eliza Dushku, mostly this is a comic book con. A lot of panels from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, a lot of just comic book stuff. And I know a lot of comic collectors are like, you know, you keep our chocolate out of your peanut butter. Comic cons should have comics and be about comics and not about the latest Tron movie. And I think that's the case currently with C2E2, though there are some of these Star Wars and other types of Multimedia, but the fact that in the second year they've got Marvel here, DC here, 
Dark Horse, Del Rey, all of these companies coming here. You know, you hear about San Diego Comic-Con that started in a guy's basement and just kept growing and growing and growing. C2E2 has taken off running. Actually, Arnie, Comic-Con started in a hotel ballroom, kind of like you'd go to like a wedding reception or something like that. I believe Gen Con actually started in some guy's basement. Okay, well, I know I heard of one con that started in a basement. But here, they're really starting off really high, and I'm hoping that in future years there's going to be a lot more multimedia, a lot more Star Wars here. Here's the thing. This convention has potential, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, man, you know, going to Chicago, I usually go for Wizard World. What's the difference between the two conventions? Well, first off, let me tell you, this one is more comic books, a lot less toys, and a lot less media. The, the difference is that... The Artist Alley is a little small. It's a little smaller convention, I guess, in general. Artist Alley, same artist you're going to see. But the artists you're getting are in the panels are comic books, and they're not – there's a lot more of them. It's actually kind of like – almost like a mini Comic-Con, but focus on the comics. That's, that's the big thing. You're not going to find, you know, your – third Darren from Bewitch signing autographs or something like that. There's no looky-loo guests, as I call them. No greatest American hero? No. That's what I call the guests at Wizard World. I call them looky-loo guests because everyone wants to go by and see what William Cat looks like now. Or the guy from the Brady Bunch. Everyone wants to go see Christopher McKnight. They want to go see what he looks like now because they had a crush on him when they were a little girl. But you don't go actually pay for his autograph. I will say, though, I think this could be the next big con because of the feeling and the comic book companies here they made a lot of announcements Delray made a lot of announcements which we're going to talk about a little later in this show and with this type of exposure that is getting this type of coverage right now San Diego Comic Con is the mecca but New York Comic Con in October really took off and Repop runs that and I really feel like this is going to be the next big one where next year it's going to be even bigger and the year after bigger still And one of the reasons I think this is I was talking to some random person in the aisle, and she was telling me that she came last year, and it was impressive. It had the comic book companies. This year, they expanded the space a little bit more. They're in a different building. But the people are just 10 times more this year than last year. And this type of attendance number is going to help this con grow. The problem is this con kind of feels like a pair of pants after Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I I really think that they did a great job of getting the word out because it's trending on Twitter. C2E2 is big stuff right now. It was trending on Twitter last Monday, and the con didn't start till Friday afternoon. Exactly. So I think what's happened, and I've been to a lot of conventions, but it seems as if they didn't cap same-day sales for Saturday because Saturday is like San Diego Comic-Con crazy Saturday. It is shoulder-to-shoulder. Arnie got his badge caught in some guy's backpack, nearly got strangled. He kept walking, and I kept trying to shout to him, and it was the, the badges they had, the lanyards have these little alligator clips, and it just caught on his backpack, and he's just walking, and I'm being dragged by my neck. It was horrifying. Yeah, I I just think that maybe in the interest of getting the attendance numbers and saying, look, we need more space, we can do it bigger and better next year, they kind of have sacrificed the comfort of having personal space. And I think that critical error they made was not having wide aisles. I think that maybe for last year, the current aisle width would have been fine. This year, my God, it felt like... It felt like a trench run. No, no. Luke had more elbow room in the trench than I had in the aisles. It felt like giving birth. 
neither one of us knows what that feels like. This would be my imagining of what it's like to be the baby trying to come out of that small hole. It, it's pretty crowded. You can't walk five inches without bumping into someone. It's, it's a little bit claustrophobic, and you got a little bit claustrophobic from being down there. Artist Alley was insane, and it was kind of maddening because some of the aisles were really wide and really great, but then it seems they put some big-name artists like Katie Cook in a really tiny aisle, and people love her little cute drawing because she had a little bit of a line, and you couldn't even get through that aisle. No, I mean, I do Comic-Con every year. This will be our sixth year this summer. Never had a problem. Here, the crowds and everything just started to get to me a little bit. I don't know if it was claustrophobia or the heat. It's just so hot down there with all those people. It's 30-some degrees outside. It's got to be high 80s, maybe 90s with 100% humidity of all body sweat on the con floor. Also, I want to point out that apparently Reed Pop runs one kind of convention because this actually mirrors Celebration 5. There are speed dating panels where you could go, and they're, again, we're desperately seeking women before, like they were at Celebration 5 to join the panels. There were actually girls standing out with signs trying to get other girls to go into the speed dating because they didn't have enough women in there. And they also had a little tattoo area. So it's Kind of like a mini celebration, but with comic books. So I don't know if this is something, this is their cookie cutter convention, and they just change it to the genre that applies. I've never been to New York Comic Con. It's one of the things that maybe Arnie will take me to this year. But I don't know. 2012 is going to probably shape up to be a big year again, so maybe we'll hold off on New York Comic Con. Yeah, I think I'm going to start saving my travel money for 2012. I think that's a good idea. Now, as far as Star Wars collecting at this con, I came really hoping to see a number of the new vintage figures, maybe get a couple of figures I've been wanting a couple spares of, like the Gamorrean Guard and things. Star Wars collectibles here are really few and far between. There's not a whole lot here. Very little in the way of Sideshow and General Giant, which is a change, and also not much in the way of action figures. Maybe two or three booths that had some vintage collection, and then they were going 18 or 20 a figure, which is more than I'm willing to pay. Yeah, just not a whole bunch of Star Wars. It really is a comics-heavy convention. Some people are saying, oh, I wish I was there this weekend. If you were coming just for Star Wars, you would be very disappointed. Now, one thing that was here was Duncan of Gus and Duncan, and I picked up their book of prototypes. Surprisingly, you know, I must have had something going on at Celebration because I forgot to get my copy there, and I'd seen it at Comic-Con. I'd been drooling over the book, and so I finally got my copy here. Actually, we had no room in the car after Celebration. I was lucky I got home. You could have hitched. Sure, I guess I could have gone all hitchhiker, but... I just, I can't say enough good things about this prototype book. If you like their first book, this book takes it to a whole new level. I'm looking forward to reading it cover to cover and seeing just all the details about ways to identify prototypes and all of this information. I know Jerry's talked about it on the show many, many times. I'm just so happy to have this. And they were having a great con special. You could have gotten both of their books for $100 and Duncan was there to autograph. Yeah, that's always a great deal. And they're always very nice. Him and his wife, Anne, are wonderful people. Also here at the con, Sandtroopers.com had a nice big booth. Got to see Chris Spice with Sandtroopers.com playing the little battle game with the kids. And if the kids could beat him, they'd win an action figure. Actually, he was really good with kids, and he was giving them prizes even if they didn't win. He was having a lot of fun. He's really good at explaining it. And he seemed to be having a really good time with the little kids. Anthony Forrest, who played Fixer in A New Hope and all the deleted scenes that we're probably going to be seeing on this Blu-ray, 
was there. He was also a sand trooper. He was selling autographs. And if you got an autograph from him, you got a free Celebration exclusive Cami Fixer comic two pack. So that was very cool at Sand Trooper's booth. So what Star Wars was here was very cool, and people really seemed to be enjoying it. There were a lot of Star Wars costumers here. We saw Stormtroopers aplenty. The Windy City Jedi Knights, is that? Yeah, the Windy City Jedi Knights were here. They put on a stage show that there was a lot of shouting in their lightsaber demonstration. A lot of, like, I didn't know if it was let's get ready to rumble or... Hello, Cleveland, or what was going on with all the shouting, but there was some lightsaber demos going on, all in good fun. We love the Windy City Jedi. But I think my favorite customers, and we're going to put this on our YouTube channel, were the 501st playing rock band. There was a rock band stage where people could get up. And what's funny is, you know, normal people will get up on stage and play rock band and nobody pays any attention, right? I mean, it's like bad karaoke night at the Comic-Con. But the costumers would get up there. There were a bunch of DC characters with Power Girl and things, and they were... They have a huge audience, and when we first arrived at the con, the 501st were up there singing The Power of Love. That's by Huey Lewis in the news. Not any other better band, but but The Power of Love by Huey Lewis. Is there another Power of Love? There might be. I'd like to think that there is a better song, but maybe not. But it was just hysterical because they had, like, the Imperial Gunner on drums and they had Stormtroopers with guitars and really great. I took a few seconds video. I don't know if YouTube will actually let me upload it because of copyrighted music, blah, blah, blah. But we will try to upload it. And if not, we can post it to our own site, SWActionNews.com, and you can take a look at it there because, I don't know, there's just something really funny about a band of Stormtroopers. Yeah, it is funny. Lots of cosplay here, all types of cosplay, a lot of immodest women. Yeah, uh, there were some things I saw that I want to unsee. Yeah, we saw quite a few interesting costumes, some things I didn't know what they were. And we always have our fun, is it a costume or is it just bad fashion kind of guessing game, so I'm not really sure what it is. Somebody really needs to make that website. Not me, but somebody really needs to make that website. Yeah, I thought about it briefly, but I don't have that kind of time right now. So that is something that we, me and Arnie play is, is it a costume, bad fashion? And I still live by the rule that it, no costume is no costume. A couple other bits of collecting news. One of the other vendors here is Diamond Select. And, you know, Diamond has those bust banks. Well, they revealed here at the consulting, I didn't even see at Toy Fair, and it's a new type of bank similar to the bust banks, that kind of lightweight, plastic, vinyl-y feel. But it is a Slave One bank with a big slit at the top so you can put in your pocket change. I think I'd like that better than the character banks because it's just kind of cool and sitting there, you know, it'd be kind of fun to put your money in the top of Slave One, depending as the way it's standing. But I think I like that better than putting money in the back of Darth Vader. And Slave One, of course, being a very iconic vehicle is going to be good for that. I'd like to see a Death Star myself. I'm, I'm big on Death Star. The Death Star is underrated. I love the Death Star. I think that they could do really well with the Death Star bank. That was the only really new collectible that I got to see here. But it was something that I think we're going to be seeing in the future. It was not for sale here. It was just being revealed. I imagine these will soon be at a Toys R Us near us. 
Well, let's talk about the Delray panel, where they had a lot of big announcements. I was live tweeting it, so if you were following SW Action News on Twitter or on Facebook, you got to see all of the updates. But there's been quite a bit of news that they announced here. First off, we all know that the 20th anniversary copy of Heir to the Empire coming out later this summer. I have my copy pre-ordered at Amazon, and if you're pre-ordering yours, please be sure to use the link from SWActionNews.com. But it turns out that this is going to be annotated by Zahn himself, and there's going to be a brand new Timothy Zahn short story in the book. And if that's not enough, Zahn short stories, short stories are returning to the Star Wars Insider, which I'm really happy about. I've Ever since Titan has taken over, I've found the Insider very hit or miss. I always used to love it back under Paizo when they had a lot of short stories by the novelists. Well, Christy Golden is going to be writing First Blood, a short story in the next Star Wars Insider. And then after that, Buyer's Market by Timothy Zahn, a story featuring Lando. And then previously on the show, we had James Lucino talking to us about his book Millennium Falcon when it came out. And I asked him some questions about the canceled Darth Plagueis novel. And he said on the show to all of our listeners, if Millennium Falcon sold enough copies, it would give him the clout to go back to Del Rey and say, I want to do the Plagueis book. Well, I guess it sold enough copies because Lucino's Darth Plagueis novel is done and will be out in the next year. And speaking of James Lucino, he will also have new short stories in upcoming paperback reissues of The Phantom Menace and Shadowhunter, obviously, being re-released to tie into the Episode 1 3D release next year. They're going to have short stories featuring Darth Maul in both of those by James Lucino. And in a couple other pieces of news, I'm sure that our book club liaison and book reviewer, Brock, is going to be very excited because it was officially announced at C2E2, J.W. Rinsler will be completing the trilogy with the making of Return of the Jedi book. That's actually really cool. Those books are great. And now you'll have a complete set, but then I wonder, is he going to move on to the prequels? I don't think so, because they did the making of the prequels at the time. Yeah, and they're pretty well documented on the internet. Well, yes, there is that. Although what I like about Rinsler's stuff is it's a warts and all telling. And if he did go back and do them, I have no doubt, but there would be a lot of new material and a lot of more truthiness. Truthiness? If I can use the Stephen Colbert word. I do love the little asides and little anecdotes that he has in the book. I think they really make it a special book. And you really feel, you get to feel personality from it. Plus all of the photos and all of the little extras that they put in. I was scared to death when they're like, J.W. Rinsler had The Empire Strikes Back in hardcover last year. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 not a soft cover release like they did for A New Hope. No, it was Return of the Jedi. I was really happy about that. It is good news. And then Aaron Alston, one of our favorite authors, it has been announced that he will be doing another Wraith Squadron novel, and it is due out next summer. Now, a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter were like, when is the timeline is this taking place? And I finally tracked down people at Delray to ask, and they're like, we don't know. We don't even think Shelley Shapiro knows. Aaron hasn't turned in the manuscript, but I guess Aaron's being given a lot of creative leeway on that. That's cool. And Aaron's a great writer, and he's a great guy. If you ever get a chance to get something signed by him, he's wonderful to talk to. He'll be the one in the Hawaiian shirt. Yes, he is the one in the Hawaiian shirt. Oh, but that can be confusing because there is another writer who wears Hawaiian shirts. Troy Denning does from time to time. 
Every time I've seen Troy Denning, he's been in a Hawaiian shirt. So this is going to get confusing. Aaron's the short one in a Hawaiian shirt. And then, of course, Dory was really pushing their Star Wars craft book coming out this Tuesday. And we're definitely going to be reporting on that as well. That looks to be cool. And they had little craft kits that they were giving away to promote it. And Joe, our friend at Delray, gave us some to give away here on the show. So we're going to do a random drawing through the forums. If you just go and post in the thread that we're going to link to that says, I'm crafty, you can win one of these kits. We'll mail it out to you. They're really cool. It's for a Yoda little stick puppet. And it's not a hard craft kit. I think they said it would just require a little bit of glue. It wasn't going to be one of the more difficult crafts. No, no, no. I mean, the crafts in the book range from a simple sock puppet, which you could put together with glue or hand sewing, to a quilt. So take your pick. This one's easy. But then, you know, Delray had a Q&A. And, you know, we had John Jackson Miller up there, Paul S. Kemp up there. And really not a lot of questions for the authors about the books. A lot of the questions being asked by the audience were more, are there going to be any books taking place between episode four and five? The answer, we have nothing to announce about that. Question, after Fate of the Jedi, is there going to be any new novels that will bridge the gap between Fate of the Jedi Legacy of the Force era and the Legacy Comics era? The response, we have nothing to announce about that, but there are talks happening for some big plans. So, I mean, people were asking about stuff that they weren't ready to officially announce. They'd made their announcements at the beginning. But then one guy got up and asked a question, and it caused some ripples in the audience, and then I tweeted about it, and it's caused some ripples in our Twitter and Facebook fan pages. And the question was about continuity and the fact that according to the person asking the question, obviously with the Clone Wars TV series doing what it's doing, recently killing the Evan Peel character, which was also in the course at Knight's novels. So he has now died and been resurrected and died again, if you take both deaths as canon. And how, according to this guy, the books really didn't matter. And that kind of, it seemed that John Jackson Miller got a little perturbed by that. And he's like, it is all one universe. If you can't see that, and then kind of backed off a little bit and said, well, it's like a puddle and you put a drip in and it has the ripple effects and everything. And they talked about how Leland Chi has the hardest job ever of trying to retcon everything and try to make it all fit. And then it got ugly online because you had some people going, the books are dumb. The books are stupid. All of that is just like fan fiction and should be ignored. And then you had other people saying, Clone Wars is just for kids. The books are better. The Clone Wars should be ignored. And I'm like, wow. And I think it got really ugly. And this has been said before by certain key people in the community where if you don't like Clone Wars and you're not a true Star Wars fan, and I think that is the crappiest comment you can make. There are no lines drawn in fandom. You can be a fan to just discovering Star Wars this morning on Spike TV when you watched it to having watched it when you were four years old with your mom because she took you. It really doesn't matter. And this kind of crap needs to stop because it's ugly, it's stupid, and there's no point in it and all you do is anger people and take away all the fun out of someone who just discovered Star Wars and people who have loved it for years because your opinion, and it's not, it's not even actually an opinion, and I, I deign to even call it that, is wrong. Everyone can be a true fan. Yeah, I mean, there are people on our Facebook page and Twitter saying, if you don't like Clone Wars, you're not a true fan. And others saying, 
if you don't like the books, you're not a true fan. You have to like it all. No, you don't have to like it all. You don't have to make it all fit. And I do think that there are some people in the community, some websites that are very derisive towards the EU, and it's allowing this kind of EU hate to spread. And I don't understand why. Don't be hating. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I don't have anything against the EU. I've read a few of the books. Some of them are good. Some of them are like, ah, not so much. I don't get my panties in a wad over canon because it doesn't do me any good. All that does is frustrate me. Hey, can I let you know a little secret? Okay. It's all fake. None of it's real. It's all fake. All that matters is if you enjoy the frickin' story. You're right. That's all that matters if you enjoy the story. I, I really get ticked off by people who say that people aren't true fans if they don't watch the Clone Wars every week and love it. Here's the thing. You can like whatever the hell you want. I can be a Jar Jar fan. And you know what? There's nothing you can do about it. But I can try. Well, yes, I guess you could try. But the point is, there's no need for this class system or perceived lower rungs of fandom. Here's the thing. We're all fans. We're in this together. All you do is breed hate, and this is not what it's about. You, you take all the fun out of it because you're being a jerk. And if you don't like it, push stop. We don't want haters to be bringing us down. We're about peace, love, and Star Wars. And I'm the same way where, like, I had somebody call me out. Recently, around the time of celebration, this anonymous person loving the anonymity of the internet saying, I wasn't a true collector because nothing I had was exceptionally rare. Now, I do have some things that only 30 of are in existence, like the Celebration 4 medallions that are in gold and other things. But because I don't go to Tunisia, maybe, like Gus Lopez and find original props, and because I don't have a ton of original custom sketches, I have some, but they're saying I'm not a true collector. I'm sorry. I think uh, anybody who has a single action figure is a true collector. We get emails all the time from kids who listen to the show, young kids, and they're like, I just started collecting. I have three figures, and I consider myself a collector, and I think that is the coolest thing ever. We had a voicemail on the show last week like that. Yeah, and it really irritates me that there are some people who use... They use their own websites to spew their hate, saying that you are not a true collector if you collect anything modern, and you're only a collector if you collect vintage. What the hell? Seriously, WTF, what is wrong with you? Are, are you, is your life so miserable that you have to spew hate towards other people because you don't view their collections as good enough? I collect whatever the hell I want, and that's what I do, and so what? I don't care what you collect. I think it's great that you do collect something because that's what we're here to do. But why do you have to criticize other people? It's all just in the name of fun. And this is the ugly side of things like this. And I hate to say, I'm sure this exists in Star Trek. and Oh, it does. And Harry Potter, possibly. Like, I don't know if people in Harry Potter get all like that. but I'm sure they do. Oh, you don't read the books? How can you be a Harry Potter fan if all you do is watch the movies? I'm sure that there's that. There's Harry Potter books? <laughs> yeah, and I just... I can't believe that out of something so cool as the Delray panel, where they're announcing all of these great books that are coming out from all of these fan-loved authors, that the response online has to be people just trolling, for lack of a better term. 
And I respect everybody's opinions. If you don't like the books, that's great. Marjorie doesn't like most of the books. If you do like the books, like I do, that's great too. We have something to talk about. We can talk about which of our books are our favorite. I read every Star Wars novel that comes out. One of my greatest joys of doing Star Wars Action News is getting a chance to talk with these authors and getting to really get inside their heads of what goes behind these books. They are not fan fiction. There is a lot of artistry going into these books. We have been graced with some great authors like Zahn and Alston and Lucino and Daly who just bring so much to the table. And if you don't like it, if you don't like to read and pick up books, that's fine. You enjoy what you like. But why do you have to look down on others because they don't like what you do or vice versa? And this canon thing, you know what? I love Nathan P. Butler and J- Leland Chi because they try so hard to make it all fit as if it were real. I love that because it's fantastically intricate and just so extreme that I, I just give nothing but props to them. But you know what? All I care about is, am I having a good time reading this story? And that's all that matters is, are you having a good time? Is this bring joy to your life, having fun, involve someone you love or someone you really like or anything like that. But seriously, stop the hate people. It makes this ugly and you're going to turn people away. It's stereotypical. Ooh, are you calling them Trekkies? As someone who once owned a Starfleet uniform, I would never do that. It's all about your level of... So, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a rant there. I'm not trying to Dennis Miller it, but... Wow, I just couldn't believe, with all this good news about reissues, if you don't like the books, nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying you have to read it. I like the books. I think they're good. And Clone Wars? Much better this third season than it had been. And yes, I understand people screaming from the rooftops. It's George Lucas' sandbox. He can do what he wants. We get that. And your point is? But we didn't complain about continuity. We were just saying that, hey, it's all Star Wars. It's all good. You can like what you want. You can love it all. That's your choice. And like they said in the author's panel, a lot of people have their own personal canon. There was a big question brought up at the panel, and I thought it was one of the more thought-provoking ones. What is Star Wars? You ask 20 fans, you'll get 20 different answers. John Jackson Miller said Star Wars was humor and a lot of the jokes because he said if you start looking at all the banter and funny lines in A New Hope, it's a comedy. To other people, it's horror, like Death Troopers. To other people, it's Jedi versus Sith. And then to some, it's all Mando stuff. It's whatever it is, people make it. And that's what makes Star Wars so great is it's so vast that you've got to be able to find something to latch on to. But that doesn't mean you look down on the others who just don't agree with you. That Again, it's ugly and unwarranted. And that's all we're going to say about that. This summer's biggest box office blockbusters are bound to be based on Marvel Comics. Thor, the first Avenger, Captain America, and X-Men First Class are sure to continue Marvel Comics' dominance at the box office. But before Iron Man, X-Men, and Spider-Man spring from the pages of Marvel Comics... In the beginning, there was... Howard the Duck... In anticipation of 2012's film, Avengers, the hosts of Now Playing are watching and reviewing every movie based on Marvel Comics characters, starting where it all began, with George Lucas's Howard the Duck. You can download that podcast now at nowplayingpodcast.com. Then come back to Now Playing each week as they look at the other Marvel Misfit characters, Man-Thing, and kick-ass. You can find it all at nowplayingpodcast.com. 
So here we are back in the Venganza Media Studios. C2E2 has ended. We recorded that on Saturday afternoon. I gotta say, while we were recording, it seemed like everybody left. Yeah, it did. It got much more manageable. Actually, I told Arnie, if we sit down and kind of take our afternoon break, have some fruit, recharge, have a little caffeine, most people are going to be heading home to have dinner. And I was right. But it was only 3.30, so I guess they were having an early dinner. Well, you got to drive home. Not many people live in downtown Chicago I would assume that attended this convention. People going to the suburbs, take it over an hour to get to some of them. So, yes, it thinned out due to dinner. And most people don't want to stay at a con until 7 o'clock at night. That's reserved for us crazy folk. <laughs> we closed down Comic-Con and Celebration every day. Yeah. And we closed down C2E2 Friday night with me looking through bootlegs and getting soundtracks. Yes. They actually had like a steam of troopers go from the back of the room to the front, and they would not pass you without you. They were hurting you like mm-hmm. sheep. Yeah, out of the con. Despite you being in the middle of a purchase, they would stand there until you were done and walk with you out. And uh, not patiently, no. They would be like, you are done, you're leaving. (laughs) We went to the Jonathan Jackson Miller signing. I wanted to get my Knight Errant novel signed. But unfortunately, he wasn't feeling well, and he'd missed all Saturday at the con. So that didn't happen. He did go back on Sunday. He was feeling better and did his Dark Horse signing. We weren't there on Sunday. But we do are glad he's feeling better now. And if you, like us, went on Saturday and were unable to get your book signed, Delray was kind enough to provide us with an autographed copy of Knight Errant to give away to a lucky listener. We are going to put the Delray panel audio up on a special bonus podcast, which you can find in the forums at SWActionNews.com starting on Thursday the 24th. And listen to that to find out how you can win that autographed copy of Knight Errant, courtesy of Delray Books. Since he wasn't there, we did a little bit more shopping. (laughs) Yes, we did. I ended up buying a bootleg DVD. Now, I've kind of gotten away from buying bootlegs because, let's face it, I mean, there's not that much bootleg Star Wars to buy. (laughs) I have my... No, and it's like the episode of Seinfeld where it's somebody recording it in a theater with a camcorder or, in this case, a stadium. Well, I mean... In many cases, the bootlegs are there. There's the standard bootlegs we see every time we go, right? There's the holiday special. There's the Ewoks collection and the droids collection. Mm-hmm. There's the Star Wars fan films collection that I don't quite get why you're trying to sell me something I can just go to YouTube and see. But I found a new bootleg and I'd never even thought about it. And so I forked over my $10 for it. $10 isn't bad. It was marked 15 but you got to haggle at a yes, con. Yes, you haggle. Star Wars in concert. Yeah, it was really a great experience going to see it in person. And if you do get the chance, I highly recommend seeing it in person. I'll be honest. I thought about bootlegging it myself audio only just because I love the Star Wars music so much. And I love the live experience. When we saw it at Celebration 2 being performed, that is my favorite memory of Celebration 2. Yeah, I looked into it, the tickets for that, because they had capped the line, ran the line down, and they I was standing in the right place at the right time, and the lady said, do you want some Star Wars and concert tickets? I'm like, why, yes, I do. Why, thank you. And they opened the line back up, and I was one of the first few people in line. Yeah, it was great. So the live music was tremendous, and the audiovisual presentation, Anthony Daniels' readings. He's awesome anyway, no matter what he's doing. So I just, I loved Star Wars in concert. It took me back, you know, like we were talking a few minutes ago on the show. It just takes you back to what it means to be a Star Wars fan and what it means to be in love with Star Wars. And so when I saw this, I'm like, 
I want that souvenir. I know it's going to be cruddy. I know it's a bootleg, but I want that souvenir for as much of the experience as I could take with me to remind me in five years what it's like, assuming it doesn't tour back around this way. Because if it does, I'd go again. I yeah, really I think would. we would. Absolutely. I didn't go last time it came past because it was too soon, but I would go like a year later. Yeah, you don't need to go two weeks later. No, no. <laughs> That's a little bit much. I wouldn't follow it like they're the dead. No. Well, that would be weird. But I would go back now. But I got the bootleg, and I have to say, while I don't necessarily advocate privacy, if they don't put it out legitimately, this wasn't bad. It was some guy holding it with a camera. I think his kid was sitting next to him. Yeah. But you're going to get anyway at the concert. Hey, it's the live concert experience. There were kids talking around us. There's kids talking on the tape. If only the floor was sticky and that we were paying $5 for a soda. I can make that happen both ways. Ah, well. But it is the shaky cam. And I just kept thinking about the Seinfeld episode where Jerry's pirating and they're talking about the camera work because the guy's trying to zoom, and, but it's on <laughs> autofocus. And so when it gets really dark, the camera's like going through every possible focus mode trying to figure it out. And then when Anthony Daniels walks out on stage, it's horribly overexposed. And what really bothers me is there's like a good portion of the film. Most of the film, he's just filming the video screen and you're getting the audio of the symphony, which of course, no matter what sound system you have, he... It's a home camcorder, so you're not getting that symphonic sound. No, you're not. You're just getting kind of tinny, but it still sounds somewhat decent, I guess, because the symphony sounds so much better. I think it was actually benefited by the fact that he was sitting very far away because then it wasn't overmodulating. When the crowd would applaud, the microphone would overmodulate and everything mm-hmm. would get really staticky. But the music itself was... I would say audio cassette quality. And if you grew up in the 80s, that's not a bad quality. We lived with it for so long. Yeah. It took me a long time to determine the difference between CDs and tape. And you get to see what the visuals were. But what bothered me, what I was saying is he didn't center on the frame. I don't know if he just set the camera down, but there's like a good portion where like the bottom quarter of my television is showing nothing. (laughs) And then he's showing like the cut off screen above. And I'm like, pan up, pan up. The man is not winning any directing or cinematography (laughs) awards anytime soon. But for a $10 bootleg, you know, it's a memory. My memory of seeing Star Wars in concert. Does this replace going to the concert? No. Hell no. No, you have to go. You have to go see this. If you even moderately like the Star Wars music, go see Star Wars in concert. But for me, I wish they would put out the DVD that would have all of this and make it professionally done. And No, I take that back. I wish they'd put out the Blu-ray because you got to see Star Wars in high def. We were, mm-hmm. like, needing bibs seeing how yeah, good A New Hope it, looked. It was an amazing visual and sound experience. But that said... A bootleg's better than nothing, right? So I picked it up, and I do not regret that purchase. There was also some vintage stuff at the con, but I just didn't pick anything up because I didn't do research ahead of time. I wasn't going in looking for any specific items. I knew what few vintage pieces I was missing loose. There were no loose yak faces to be found, so I didn't pick that up. The bootleg was my only purchase, other than Gus and Duncan's wonderful, wonderful prototype book. Mm -hmm. But... I'm happy, and I enjoyed C2E2. I had a good time at the con. We did a lot of non-Star Wars stuff. You'll hear about it on Marvelicious Toys, including a little bit of a controversy in Artist Alley. Yeah, I'm a little bit frustrated. So you're going to listen to Marvelicious Toys to see if I'm feeling justified in my tiny bit of rage and slightness. Also in Artist Alley, artist Tom Hodges was doing sketches that he was selling for $5 a piece, and he was putting all of the money to the Red Cross Japanese Disaster Relief Fund. 
Very good cause. I wanted to donate to that charity, so I picked up a Boba Fett sketch that I am going to give away also this week. In addition to giving away the craft book kits, we're going to be giving away a Boba Fett sketch, and we're going to be doing that on our Facebook page. So we're going to post on the Facebook page and just reply to that post and be a fan of the page, and you can win this Tom Hodges Boba Fett sketch. Because, really, I just want to thank Tom Hodges for supporting the Japanese Red Cross Relief Fund. And now, just a few other items. I want to thank everybody who emailed and posted in the forums. I swear to God, I tried to swivel that Super Battle Droid arm. I really did. It didn't work! Apparently, there's a joint above the elbow, and it was just so stiff on ours that I thought I was going to snap the arm. It does have a joint there. It does make the Super Battle Droid able to swivel his arm into gun mode. I want to give Hasbro some kudos because that arm is so thin. I didn't think it was possible, and I tried just in case there was a hidden joint. Mine was just too stiff. It does make that pistol a little redundant now, doesn't it? (laughs) And speaking of Hasbro toys, a quick, quick store report for some sales this week. Toys R Us is having half-off battle packs and those deluxe Clone Wars vehicles. So if you... Like me, wait for a sale for those. It's time to go pick up your Naboo skiff and your ATRT. Over at Walmart, they've got Clone Wars figures for six fifty, which is actually really cheap right now. So you might want to head over there and pick up some of those. Good now, chance for troop building. Exactly. And there's a lot of the Clone Wars figures on the pegs right now, a lot more than the vintage at Walmart's, I'm noticing. And Walmart has those end caps out where you can find all of the latest figures, so you'll be able to get those at... A little bit of a savings. And I believe the Toys R Us still price matches, don't they? No. Oh, no, they don't? they don't. Does anyone price match anymore besides Walmart? Walmart. Okay. Now, if you want the deal of the week, I think you need to head over to TJ Maxx. Listener reported in that they found the remote control gunship and Jedi Starfighter for, are you sitting down for this one? I am. $4.99 each. I got to get over there. We have the Jedi Starfighter. You can see the flight on YouTube where it's chasing our poor Chihuahua. Yes. But, hey, for five bucks, I'd pick up the gunship. I definitely endorse this purchase because I got about $5 worth of fun out of it. Here's the thing. I'm just not really skilled at driving things like that. It's not you. It's it. Okay. Now, I think the Millennium Falcon flies better as they felt safe flying it at Comic-Con and didn't beam anybody in the head. But, yeah, the Starfighter and gunship, I wrote to Hasbro and asked them. Did I get a defective one? Am I defective? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, nah, no, it's just kind of how it is. <laughs> Moving to online news, Star Wars action news sponsor Brian's Toys has the two latest gentle giant jumbo vintage 12-inch figures available, which is Obi-Wan with vinyl cape and Jawa with cloth cape. And remember that the Obi-Wan, because he's got the bifurcated legs that encompass his robe, he's wearing a very sassy and fashionable pantsuit. Well, it was fashionable in the 70s anyway. Yes. They also have the Metacom Real Action Hero Django Fett. And if you, like us, aren't seeing the latest waves of figures on pegs, you can pre-order right now Clone Wars Wave 10 or Vintage Wave 6 and guarantee you get those in your hands with the Brian's Toys C9 Guarantee. Make sure to mention Star Wars Action News when you're checking out at Brian's Toys. And now to finish up our show, here is Nathan P. Butler starting a new EU collecting series, giving us a look back, kind of a eulogy, if you will, on the Star Wars Hasbro comic two-packs. (laughs) 
Hello, Star Wars Action News listeners. This is Nathan P. Butler of StarWarsFanWorks.com and Republic Forces Radio Network, bringing you Expanding the Universe, your EU special report. This begins a brand new featurette series, much like the eight-part feature on collecting approaches over the last year or so. This time, I'll be taking a look, bit by bit, year by year, at the Star Wars comic packs from Hasbro, a topic that seems a perfect fit for this segment, given its crossover between the expanded universe and figure collecting, and my own experience with Equals and Opposites getting one in 2009. The Hasbro comic packs began in 2007, in the 30th anniversary collection. The year saw a total of 19 comic packs, each including one comic book and two action figures. One of these was an online exclusive. Three were exclusive to Walmart, and the other 15 were available normally. This time, we're going to tackle the 2007 exclusives and five of the regular packs, followed next time by the rest of the 2007 line, then 2008 in two parts, 2009 in two parts, and 2010 in one shot over the months to come. So let's take a look at 2007. Hasbro Toy Shop, Entertainment Earth, and Star Wars Shop have probably the most interesting exclusive this year, as it was an entirely expanded universe pack. This exclusive contained Crimson Empire number 6, the final issue of the first of three miniseries, the third of which is currently in production many years after the end of the second, which focused on former Imperial Guardsman Kier Kanos and his quest to, at least in the first storyline, defeat treacherous fellow guardsman Karnor Jax. These were some of the first characters to give us a story behind the masks of the Royal Guards and the Imperial Sovereign Protectors, force-using Royal Guards. And we learned, as time went on, that it was Karnor Jax who ordered the sabotage of the clones used by Emperor Palpatine during his return in Dark Empire. And Karnor actually learned to use the dark side while under the tutelage of the Dark Lady Lumaya from the Marvel Comics series and Legacy of the Force novels. This comic series, or at least the first mini-series of three, was also one of the few expanded universe stories to ever be turned into an audio drama. The figures with it turned out to be a pair of really cool Imperial Guardsmen whose helmets could be removed. One colored in the traditional colors for Kirkanos, one with the darker colors that were the trademark of Karnor Jax. Walmart, meanwhile, had a trio of exclusives, but they weren't nearly as interesting. One featured Republic number 79, Into the Unknown Part 1, and as always included two figures, Commander Keller and a Galactic Marine. In the grand scheme of things, these figures are small potatoes in the EU, as the Marine is just a generic Galactic Marine from the EU standpoint. And Commander Keller is a cool-looking one-off clone trooper design who only appeared in that one story and had little or no real impact on the EU. He's just another clone trying to capture Jedi after Order 66. This was obviously one chosen for the look of the character, not for his impact. Another Walmart exclusive featured Marvel issue number 81, Jawas of Doom. No, I'm not kidding about the title. This was the first Marvel Comics issue to take place after Return of the Jedi. It features Boba Fett escaping the Sarlacc with amnesia, only to be blasted right back into it shortly after regaining his memory and attacking Han yet again. Again, no, I'm not kidding. The pack includes a Boba Fett figure and an RA-7 droid used by the Jawas who find the amnesiac Boba Fett and think he's a droid. But frankly, the story, as you can probably tell, just like the figures, is pretty much forgettable. 
The final Walmart exclusive for 2007 was one that was of somewhat greater interest. The comic was a simple reprint of the fourth and final issue of the Revenge of the Sith comic adaptation, but the figures gained great attention at the time, at least in the EU community. They included Obi-Wan and Bail Organa with Baby Luke and Baby Leia. Granted, the figures had been seen before, but not in comic pack form, which at least gave this new release a nice sense of atmosphere for the purchaser. This isn't really anything EU, though, as it was a comic pack based on a comic based on a film, which isn't Expanded Universe material. Many of the regular comic packs from 2007 included new versions of film characters who have had countless action figures already. The question was usually a matter of what comic would be with them, or whether the other figure in a given comic pack would be particularly interesting from an Expanded Universe standpoint. Four of these mainstream comic packs were based on the Marvel comic series that ran from 1977 through 1986. The first six issues of that comic series were an adaptation of A New Hope, which has been reprinted repeatedly over the years. For more information on Marvel reprints or oddball Marvel items, I'd point you to my podcast, The EU Review, over on solosound.net, where we've done some episodes of a side series called The Obscure Side, all about that sort of thing. For our purposes here, the key thing to note is that other than that Walmart exclusive of Jawas of Doom with Boba Fett and the RA-7 droid, all of the Marvel comic packs from 2007 were tied to issues that adapted A New Hope, rather than original Marvel fiction. Now, that might sound rather boring. I mean, come on, how many times can we see figures based on the films, especially the classic trilogy? Isn't this overkill? Or overkill of overkill? Well, yes, it is overdone, sure. But these were interesting in that they were based specifically on how the comic written by Roy Thomas with pencils by Howard Chaikin and various colorists, portrayed the characters, not how the film did. The comic art was often somewhat different from how things turned out on film. While some would argue that this was unfaithful to A New Hope or something to be scoffed at, it made for some interesting variants on familiar characters. All four of this year's mainstream release Marvel comic packs covered a single issue from the first four in the Marvel series, or the first two-thirds of the A New Hope adaptation. The pack for issue number one featured a rebel trooper that was apparently meant to be Captain Ramus Antilles, along with Darth Vader. Vader, like most other helmeted characters in the Marvel adaptation, had red eye lenses. Vader's armor also has a somewhat more bluish tone than normal. The other three packs, for issues two, three, and four, each featured someone in stormtrooper armor, which, frankly, is overkill, I think. Issue 2 featured a regular Stormtrooper with, once again, red eye lenses and other helmet features in red as well. The third issue featured Han Solo in the Stormtrooper disguise, while the fourth issue featured Luke in the same. And both of these figures bore the same red helmet accents found on Issue 2's Stormtrooper. Hey, it may be overkill, but at least they were consistent and created an unusual subset of Trooper figures. The characters in the packs with the Stormtrooper, Han Trooper, and Luke Trooper were, respectively, Grand Moff Tarkin in his green comic attire rather than film gray, Chewbacca with his unusual facial coloration from the comic, but thankfully not the horrid, overgrown hippie look of later issues, and R2-D2 with a simplified comic-style color and marking scheme. Lastly for this time, let's take a look at a mainstream comic pack that stands apart from the rest of the packs, and from the continuity itself. 
only one of the 2007 comic packs was based on an Infinities, or in-canon, or what-if style of story. The pack was based on Infinities The Empire Strikes Back number 4, the final issue in an alternate universe version of Empire that found Luke dead on Hoth from the cold and Leia fulfilling the Skywalker destiny to be a Jedi. In the climax, Jedi Leia battles Darth Vader, her own father, on Dagobah, in a battle that includes a sequence of Vader without his Macquarie-inspired helmet, revealing the face of Anakin Skywalker, as played by Hayden Christensen. It was an unusual story, but it made for a rather intriguing and unusual pair of action figures. And constant peg-warmers at my local Target. Sometimes, I guess even the cool ones can't defeat the barrier of high price tags on years-old products. Next time around, we'll return for the final 10 mainstream comic packs of 2007, and far, far more expanded universe material to be found in the remainder of the first year of comic packs. Now, back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Nathan. That's our show for this week. Remember, head to our forums so you can win one of those Star Wars craft kits. And Bonnie Burton will be joining us next week to talk about the Star Wars craft book. Marjorie, I know you've been having a lot of fun with that. I have been. I, I like the book. I like crafts. I just need to somehow craft an extra 10 hours in the day. And also head to our Facebook page so you can win that Tom Hodges Boba Fett. So thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at swactionnews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com, HansHideout.Blogspot.com, and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. 
Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated.